Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Ready to go? Yeah, we're going. We're, we're already going. Ah. Number 135, for whatever that matters. Yeah, we're going to talk about praises in today. Kind of an interesting thing. Actually, I I had done some stuff with off-label alcohol use disorder treatment a while back. It's been a while. And then we got something from our boss about praises in. I don't remember if, if you remember mm-hmm. that paper. And then I started down that rabbit hole again. Which... Yeah, and I think it fits in line with what we talked about last week. Yeah, with alcohol and, and yeah, and of course we do spend some time using prazosin, especially for night kind of stuff, like PTSD and PTSD, nightmares and all those things. Nightmares, and so we're going to talk a little bit about how that works as well, comorbid. But a little background first. I think we always, when we're talking about alcohol use disorder, just review a couple things. Um, and I think probably first, you know, remember alcohol use disorder is both biologically. Uh, it's biologically a genetically based disease, right? So, right. I mean, we've, like every other use yeah. disorder, you I know, mean, there's the genetic component and then the bio psychosocial illness. Yeah. And of course, I think all of us or many of us have seen those studies with both parents with alcohol use disorder, what the chances that seven times higher, it's like super high. So, and of course, most of the treatments are behavioral or psychosocial kind of based. Because we, of the um, the lawyer and the doctor back in the day, I don't remember, was it the 30s? Yeah, they wrote the big book. That wrote the big book and started AA. But now, there's a lot of controversial, though, over behavioral and, you know, treatment. So there's a, I think the whole purpose of doing these off-label talks and just talks in general for the treatment of alcohol use disorder is to show that there's, what is it, that stupid cliche, there's more than one way to skin the cat. Ooh, uh, I've I, got four cats. And I look... Weird, but oh, no, anyway. I, that made me sound like a cat person. They're in the barn. Mm. Um, so I have two, but they're at my mother-in-law's. Yeah, yeah, she'll keep them forever. <laughs> but remember, too, that um, PTSD and AUD commonly co-occur. And it's really interesting because if they are comorbid, you do see much worse impairment if you have PTSD and alcohol use disorder. And actually, much often, you see sooner relapse. Right. More times I'm going to go to treatment, kind of that recidivism, more treatment and cost. And just to kind of quick back up and about the whole core morbid co-occurring, you know, this is common that there's a lot of different use disorders that kind of go well with certain mental health diagnoses. So PTSD, you kind of think it's a heightened state and alcohol, you know, can kind of relax you is, is the theory. Just like people who are highly anxious and panic, they tend to have more alcohol use. Mm. Like a person with PTSD is very unlikely to be a person who overuses meth. Less likely. I said less likely. Okay. Um, I think I said as not as likely. So, yeah, <laughs> not as likely. Yeah, that's very confusing. They're not not using it. And moving on. <laughs> Self-all uh, negative. So investigators have really looked at Prazosin for a while. And, and just to kind of back up a little bit, you know, Prazosin basically decreases that adrenergic activity by blocking noradrenergic binding. Right. So, so that's really how that works. And so theoretically, that would do a few things. Although, let's remind people that Prazosin was actually developed to treat BPH. Well, and, and, <laughs> and alcohol, or excuse okay. me, and blood pressure. Right. Lowering all that, which fits with this. But, you know, I mm. have never, ever, ever seen it used in either of those. 
ways. Mm. I mean, you probably have before they actually developed other things. Yeah, and actually for blood pressure, they're way back. So yeah, so before I just before you were born. I think it's just interesting for sometimes for patients to hear like, how did this even come to happen? Yeah, and didn't and and maybe you have it in here. I remember a, this is important because it's actually about an article that you talked about at a different time, and I don't remember if it was a podcast or not. But it's kind of the whole chicken or the egg phenomenon. Like, does the alcohol use get less because you're treating the PTSD or does it have its own independent treatment of alcohol use disorder? Actually, we'll talk about that a little bit here. That's, that was but not exactly, not exactly that. But so anyway, so theoretically, prazosin would decrease arousal. It would decrease kind of that reinforcement you would get from drinking the alcohol. And it would decrease kind of that stress response. Which I refer to as that fight or flight response yep. to my patients. Yeah. And so, and there, there have been preclinical studies that have shown the prazosin does a bunch of different things. It kind of helps decrease that reinstatement of alcohol consumption. So, so people won't kind of continue to drink. Um, it, it decreases the alcohol consumption in some patients, uh, you know, how much they're drinking per day. So who have a dependence already. Mm -hmm. And of course we know, and we talked about this just a moment ago, that in, in PTSD we use it in relationship to a lot of times to the nightmares, which it works reasonably well. But there's no testing specifically for comorbid prior to this alcohol with PTSD. Correct. I mean, that's been one of the big issues is what happens if people have both and you treat them with praises and does it treat them both at the same time? And what was I going to say? I don't remember. Yeah. So there was actually a study done where they actually did a randomized uh, control trial, placebo controlled, actually, a clinical Double trial. Double blind? Double blinded. You mm -hmm. forgot what your like initials were. Uh, I ignored it. Uh, let's just go with that. Okay. Uh, but they actually, it was interesting, they took 60 patients who had both alcohol use disorder and PTSD, and they gave them six, week of, six weeks of prazosin or six weeks of placebo. And what do you think happened, Dr. Bell? Well, I want to see, well, use combines, oh, gotcha. I was like, yeah. what does that say? So the findings, greater reduction in percent of drinking days per week in the patients that had, that got the in, but there was no significant decreases in the PTSD symptoms. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting. Especially because we've been using it for PTSD far longer. Yeah, but but they're comorbid. They don't get the same benefit for their PTSD for <gasps> some reason. That's what that article was. I remember. So... This was the, there was an article, it was Prazosin and, and another treatment, um, I think it was an SSRI, where if your PTSD predated your alcohol use, the Prazosin would, nope, it was on this, the Prazosin would help your PTSD, but not your alcohol. If the alcohol preceded the PTSD or if they were kind of happened at the same time, it was going to decrease your alcohol, but not your PTSD. Yeah, it's very interesting how, and, I, and clearly there's not been a ton of studies with that, but this was, and this was 60 patients, and I think that's something they're going to need to continue to look at, but. Yeah, and these are newer studies than the one I just quoted. Yeah, so, so I think that's interesting, and if, um, you know, that's just something that we're going to hear more about with time. But I do think that it's, it is one that, you know, last ditch effort. It's nice if you could get a twofer where you're, you're helping both problems, but. Because it's it, fewer medications. Yeah. You know, and I think we all, we're always looking for medications that help two things and kind of take care of two things at one time. But I love, this is actually the name of this article. Yeah, is, it actually or, is. So medications to treat alcohol use disorder, targeting the dark side. Yeah. And I, and, and this think, is from 2021, so. Yeah, and of course, 
you know, again, we're, when we talk about alcohol use disorder, very common thing, you know, 14 million people in America still probably qualify, but, um, you know, 88,000 deaths a year. Think about that. Uh, from alcohol use And if disorder. we're looking at costs, though, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to your ER visits you have here. You skimmed over 1.7 million ER visits related to alcohol. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Like is. a lot of money on society, which is why these are starting to be studied, I think, more is because it is there is so much comorbid impact of alcohol. So overall, alcohol, though, is greater than all other illicit substances. Yeah. So this whole this whole paper was really about um, kind of highlighting the kind of the repurposing of prazosin for off label, of course, for uh, for alcohol use disorder. And of course, they kind of go through again the things that we had talked about previously about you know what it actually does as far as the adrenergic side. Um, Should we? I mean, I, did you like totally lose me here? Because I may have. You may have. Yeah. You talked about that. There's the three FDA approved medications but fewer than 4% actually receive meds. Yeah. yeah. But that kind of goes back to what you said last week about, you know, not everyone who qualifies for an alcohol use disorder really needs to go to treatment or needs to see somebody and needs meds. So. Yeah. yeah. So if we look at what the most of the medications, especially the ones that are FDA approved do, they kind of block that rewarding effect of drinking. Yeah, the dopamine. Right? So so that's typically what, what we do a lot of times is we block that. Um but what they don't do, what the medicines don't do, the prazosin is a little bit different, is they don't treat some of these negative effects that you get, especially when you stop drinking, the dysphoria, the anxiety, the irritability, all these things that may come as we stop. Um, and so these are symptoms that often persist beside, you know, beyond that acute withdrawal and, and kind of really kind of heighten that motivation to drink again. And, and that, that yeah that negative reinforcement yeah. you know kind of what opioid use disorder patients yeah. it's, they keep using because they don't like the withdrawal yeah so in the business i guess they've uh they've kind of termed these the negative symptoms or the dark side of addiction you know it's those things we don't it's funny it reminds that me that sense. talk i gave on uh the dark side with fentanyl and starting yeah. out uh, buprenorphine yeah um so they basically, uh, in this study, I don't even know how to say this guy's name, Sinha, at all. Um, they bas- <gasps> You said all right. All, you at said all. You didn't say the wrong. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Look, you can teach people new tricks. Even, Notice I left out the part of that phrase. Yeah. Anyway, so and, they had 100 patients with alcohol use disorder. Yeah, and they, they gave half of those patients actually praises in 16 milligrams a day and half placebo. And that's a high dose. Yeah. So I, I just think that's important to point out because when we use it for Smaller. PTSD nightmares, like I think the high dose that I typically we get to is about five milligrams. And when mm-hmm. I don't, when you don't see improvement, I've maybe seen up to 10. I've never seen anyone nor have I ever prescribed higher than that for just PTSD. So I just want to point out 16 is a higher dose than we use, which is why if you do use Prazosin in your clinic for PTSD, you might not have seen what Kurt's about to tell us. Yeah. And and I think that uh, it was interesting what they did. They basically took the CIWA and they evaluated kind of the severity of kind of these negative symptoms, these symptoms that people were having as they were going through withdrawal. Were these patients inpatient then? Uh, that did not say that I recall. Just because if you're doing a CIWA, this is not that delayed. This is 
the you know the first week or so withdrawal. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. And these scores are really very low. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look if a CWA of less than two, that's really low. You know, and you get if you gave these patients prazosin because they did not have a lot of these negative things, the prazosin really didn't help their you know the effect of the prazosin as far as relapse and stuff didn't make much difference. But if you look at the people who are greater than three, which still is pretty low, those patients, when given praises and actually had less drinking days, less heavy drinking days, and less kind of depression, anxiety, craving, all that, uh, than other patients. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting when you look at these patients that are trying to stop drinking alcohol, often prazosin is a really good one early on. I thought that was a great takeaway mm-hmm. when I see people and they're, you know, it's, I'm going to think of this more um, as, as an adjunct, especially early on. Okay, so what I would wonder, you know what, I remember having to do these studies and I just hate doing scientific studies, but for me, the most fun part of doing a paper is like, what is the next question. And so for me, and I like doing this on these podcasts, I've done it a thousand times. It'd be my next question for this, this researcher would be, is it, because if you were looking at CWA scores, so they had more benefit if their CWA was greater than equal to three, does that mean the prazosin needed to have been started right away when they had the CWA score to have this benefit versus, you know, they're a month out, but their CWA is probably less than two. Do they then not have the benefit long-term? Yeah. So is there a timeliness to starting this medication? Yeah, and that I don't think we know because they did Correct. it a particular way. That's yeah. why I'm saying this mm-hmm. is the next question. Yeah. But yeah, they actually use the CWA AR. And, um, and I do think it's a, it's an interesting thought that if, if we're trying to help these patients, it's probably early on. So my, my counter answer to my own question as a hypothesis. Oh, gosh. Because you have this little asterisk here is anxiety is typically the top three reported issue. Yep. So I suppose a month out, their CWA could technically still be above three or at three if anxiety is still high and heightened from not being on alcohol anymore. Yep. So. Interesting. There's the next study to this Sinha et al. I don't know how much time have we got here. Did we? Have we, we could. Add this last little one. What page are we on? But we haven't even done all these. Yeah, we don't need to do that. We I think could. We could. But let's talk a little bit about uh, an article that was on uh, Psychiatry Online because they actually did a had a study listed here about uh, double-blinded randomized clinical trial for praises in, a- in AUD. And this was in and 2000- now we're out of time because it took you three minutes to say the time. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is actually from 2018, so it's a few years old. Um, but but their initial thing was really the problem is that the current meds that we use for AUD don't target the noradrenergic pathways, similar to what we were talking Just about said, yeah. before. Uh, and so. You know, theoretically, they felt that, you know, some of these sodium circuits may be involved in alcohol reinforcement and relapse. And what can we do that might impact that? So what this tells me is that I like that they're thinking this because it, although all addiction kind of, you know, an addiction is an addiction, you're more likely to have another addiction if you had one, blah, blah, blah. We talk about that, but they are all different substances. You know, we're looking at the mu opioid receptor for opioids that's going to be a bigger focus than it would be in a different substance. So I love that this is a question that they're looking at is how is alcohol a little different so we can then target treatments. Yeah. And initially what they did is they took the praises that they gave it to rodents and it actually decreased their withdrawal symptoms and induced kind of, uh, they, they attempted, they decreased it so that they didn't have alcohol. So intake. they didn't have that negative with 
that negative reinforcement, Correct. yeah. And it, it kind of decreased the stress-induced alcohol drinking. So so in How rodents... How did they determine if the rodents were stressed? Uh, they smoked less? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then they went to humans. And, you know, what does what does Prazosin do with a human? Does it do the same thing? Um, and basically what they found is it did decrease their kind of reactivity to stress, right? So when they were on Prazosin, uh, they had less cravings. They, they were less anxious, and it really reduced, much like in the other study, drinking days per week. Um, and, and I think that that's really important. But it kind of does the same thing you talked about in the Correct. previous article. Correct. It improved the drinking outcomes, but not the PTSD symptoms. Correct. And that was the big thing. If they had comorbid PTSD, again... Although it excluded patients with straight-up PTSD, so you don't have that Correct. other arm. Yep. They didn't have the other arm. But I think that, again, the evidence that there, that prazosin may be helpful is reasonable. Uh, I think there's been a, a number of studies that shown that, especially early on, uh, that when patients are more likely to relapse early on, that it's a reasonable thing to use. Uh, what happened to this one? I have no idea what you have there. Oh, you must have mixed it. In. I must have mine in the wrong order. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I don't know what I interrupted you when you were saying. Yeah, I'm not sure why you interrupted me. But I, I do think that, that again, prazosin is something to think about in particular patients, especially and right afterwards, uh, early on, uh, when they might relapse. I also think that this, if like you're thinking about it in a patient, you know, remember you have to document that you discussed this off-label usage. That's just an aside. But to me, the other thing I'm, I'm hearing from this is it's kind of like the whole dry January is, is what's your motivation? And, you know, if you're doing dry January, it helps you evaluate your reasons for drinking. And if you have a patient who you're assessing this, you know, if this is a person who wakes up in the morning and just drinks all day and they, or they only drink heavily when they're with their friends, this might not be as effective versus the patient who, if you really kind of dive deep into their drinking habits who drinks a lot when they work because of the stress of that, or if they have their kids. or So the patients who are drinking to alleviate their stress, this may be the more of an option than yeah. a different type of patient. And I think, again, we're always looking for those twofers. And in this case, if a person also has some blood pressure issues, not a bad choice um, early on. I think you know when we look at some of the other drugs like dopiramate, Got somebody with chronic migraine daily headache, pain, or, need or the pain, loss. or whatever. Topiramate sometimes is a good drug uh, as well. So the so other, I, the other again, question I would have, and I don't think it was probably in your studies. I think you would have mentioned it, is like the side effects or you know the other yeah. symptoms. Like was one of the, the the positive symptoms that their blood pressure was lower. So this, if a person who's not on any blood pressure meds has a blood pressure, you know, systolic in the hundreds may not want to consider this, we're going to cause them to be hypotensive. Yeah, and there are side effects associated with uh, prazosin, especially, you know, the blood pressure, some fatigue, some lightheadedness, all those kinds of things. Lightheadedness because of the mm-hmm. blood pressure probably. But like you mentioned, there's there might be that subset of patients like you, you know, with the whole, if they also have the comorbid elevated blood pressure. Yeah. I like it. All right, well, that's all I got. No, that was perfect. We will move on to other topics next week. But this is fun. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. Produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman and music by Battle Eggs on Spotify.
Come play.